Here we go. Believe. Believe. Are you guys warm enough, cool enough? I'm going to roll up my sleeves because this is whenever I get to work here. Sometimes I get hot during service. We are headed for John chapter 5, verse 31 is where we're going to start. So you can turn in your digital devices there. I hear them turning on. I don't know, some of you will remember whenever I first started preaching from my iPad, I still had this habit of licking my finger and turning the page. Uh, one of the young men in the church said, really, Brent, that's kind of gross. <laughs> Should stop doing that. All right, key verse for John, chapter, uh, for the book of John, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I'm going to read it. Actually, read it out loud with me. You guys should know this by now. We should be able to read it together. Here we go. Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have Yes, you guys did so good. I'm proud of you. John wrote this so that who could believe? So that we could believe, yes. And believing in Jesus leads who to receiving eternal life? Us, yes. Uh, as Thomas is leading, Lord, I need you. I don't know, you guys probably, Thomas and I talk a lot during the week. We don't make a plan for service together. I, I kind of prepare and he kind of does his thing. And I don't know if he knows what I'm doing. I never pay attention to what he's doing until Sunday morning. And then I'm just surprised. But then this morning I'm like, Lord, I need you. That is, that is the center of this text. Going into John chapter five, verse 31, there is no better way we could set up than to sing, Lord, I need you. Because John chapter five, I'm so messed up in my notes right now. John chapter five is all about us coming to the realization that because Jesus genuinely, 100%, completely is God, we desperately need him. Okay? So I titled this Testify. Everyone say testify. testify. Say it like you're at a church that has some color. <laughs> testify. Mm, hallelujah. Um, John, sorry. I probably offended somebody. Calm down. Crazy people over on this side. John chapter 5 is divided into three sections. I've told you this before. Each section is pointing to Jesus being the Son of God. Verses 1 through 15 tells us the story that Jesus miraculously heals this sick man at the pool of Bethesda. But he heals this man on the Sabbath. And so now the Jewish leaders are all irritated because you have messed up the rules of the Sabbath. In verses 16 to 30 that we went over last week, Jesus himself declares that he is the Son of the living God. Therefore, he is equal with God. Again, the Jews are what? Really angry. I said something real quick because I was afraid of what you guys might say. You might say something inappropriate there. And we never do that. Verses 31 through 47 is our text today. Jesus is going to explain that there are other witnesses besides himself to him being the son of God. Does that make sense so far? All right, so there's a progression in John chapter 5. It's pretty uh, divinely inspired. Here we go. Number one, if you're going to take notes there, uh, John the Baptist testified. My, note, my points are pretty simple this morning. I'm going to go kind of quick 
because I have a lot of notes, okay? So John the Baptist testified. Keep up with all the Johns. We have John the Apostle that wrote the book of John, and then we have John the Baptist uh, here that, John, that Jesus is going to reference. So Jesus is speaking in John chapter 5, verse 31. If you're looking in a regular Bible, you probably see it in red, right? So we know that Jesus is talking. He says, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. You absorbing that? In fact, you, because Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders, he says, in fact, you Jewish leaders sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be what? Saved. Verse 35, John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited. You, again, talking about the Jewish leaders, and you were excited for a while about his message. So in this text, Jesus recognizes that his testimony about himself uh, doesn't go very far to proving anything, right? Just, I mean, we understand that. Just because Jesus claims to be the Son of God doesn't make it true. However, Jesus knows that the Jewish leaders sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist. And his testimony about Jesus is true. The Jewish leaders had put their confidence in John the Baptist, and John the Baptist testified. I'm going to skip all the way back. You don't have to turn in your Bibles, but just listen very carefully. You may want to write the references down. John chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he says, this was John's testimony, talking about John the Baptist, when the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. And then we skip down in chapter 1 to verse 23. I didn't want to read the whole chapter because you get lost in it. John replied in his own words, or in the words of the prophet Isaiah. He said, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. And then five verses later, how many ever, I don't do math very well, in verse 29, I guess it's six verses, the next day, John saw Jesus. I love this story. John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah, that's pretty exciting, you guys. Uh, I don't know what happened there. John the Baptist, he made it clear to the Jews that Jesus was the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Christ that was prophesied in all of the Old Testament. Jesus knows that the Jews kind of liked John the Baptist, at least for a little while, because John the Baptist's message was repent and turn back to God. Well, that was a message that the Jews could get on board with. Turn back to God. Come back to the church. Keep the rules. Keep the law. Do the things we tell you to do and give us your money. 
But they began to think John the Baptist was crazy when he began to declare, like a crazy man, in a crowd of people, when he says, Look, there is the Lamb of God. The Jews say, uh, You've lost your marbles there, buddy. You've been out in the sun too long. You've eaten too many locusts. We're not on board with you anymore. Right? Not even God would stand in the way of the Jewish leaders' worship. We are here to keep the law. And if you declare that the Messiah shows up and is going to transform everything, then we are not going to listen to you. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Verse Back to chapter 5, verse 34 in our text. I think it's uh, verse 34 is kind of peculiar. He says, of course, Jesus is speaking. I like, I like his confidence here. He says, of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things. I have no need of human witnesses. I don't need you guys to like me. I don't need you guys to accept me. I don't need, I do not need you to believe in me because Jesus is the son of God and he's going to remain the son of God whether or not you recognize it or not. Are you following? But I say these things. Why? So that you, because unless Jesus explains who he is, we come to church and we really don't understand how much we need Jesus, how much we need God in our lives. I'm getting so way ahead of myself. He is not attempting to prove who he says he is to anyone other than those that he came to save. Are you with me? Jesus is making his case so that you might believe and that you might have eternal life. The Apostle John, who's writing this gospel, he's writing so that you, we just read it in, in uh, our key verse, so that you might believe and have eternal life. John the Baptist, he is, uh, the text tells us that he was like a burning and shining lamp in chapter one, verse seven, telling about the light so that, so that everyone might believe. So that we might believe. John the Baptist testified like a burning light Picture that? Like a shining lamp that Jesus, his testimony was that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So believe. It's not just based on the words of Jesus. John the Baptist testified also. Number two, the Father testified. Verse 36, he says, but I have a greater witness than John. So there's going to be this progression here again where he says, okay, you have my word, but then you have John the Baptist's word, but then there's even a greater witness than John the Baptist, which you guys did like. I have a greater witness than John. And then he says, my teachings and my miracles, the Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove, everyone say they prove, they prove that he, who is he, the Father, the Father God, sent me. We get lost in the pronouns every once in a while. And the Father who has sent me has testified about me himself. 
Got it? That's what I'm waiting for. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me. The one, he, who is he? The Father sent to you. So John the Baptist never performed any miracles. He simply preached in the desert, and people came to repentance, and he baptized them. Jesus, on the other hand, he comes and he performed miracles. John the Apostle has strategically written his gospel to give us miracles preceding this verse so that when we get to this verse, we know that Jesus has performed miracles. He's not just pulling a story out of thin air. Jesus has performed miracles which have been seriously significant to the Jewish leaders. The prophet Isaiah had spoken of the time when the Messiah comes. In Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, he says, it's Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. He says, when he comes, talking about the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, he will open the eyes of the blind He will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer. Well, just previously in this chapter, we have the guy at Bethesda, and he got up and walked with his mat. I don't know if he went prancing around like a deer, but he at least walked around with his mat, right? And those who cannot speak will sing for joy, is what Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah. The Jewish leaders should have recognized that when a man comes and causes blind eyes to see, deaf ears to hear, and people who cannot speak to be able to sing with joy, they should have recognized God has told us through his prophets, this is his son, this is the Messiah, but they weren't putting two and two together very well. In John chapter 3, verse 2, we have the story of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus validates the miracles of Jesus after dark one evening. He, Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you. He says, we all know. Nicodemus, one of the Jewish leaders, he comes to Jesus. Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, we all know. All of us in the leadership, we've seen you do miracles. We know that something's up with you. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So while they don't want to admit it, they know in their hearts, because they've read the prophet Isaiah and other prophets, they know who Jesus is. They just don't want to accept it. The Father, once again offensive to the Jews, the Father has given Jesus the power and the authority to perform miracles to prove, to prove to the world, to you and I even today, that Jesus absolutely, unequivocally is the Son of God. Can you just absorb that for a second? I'm going to have a drink of cold coffee while you absorb Oh, that's good. Are you with me? I was raised in church. While I drink coffee, I'm going to get away from my notes, okay? I only have a sip left. I was raised in church. And I know that I preach this all the time, but 
a lot of us were raised in church. I mean, we were raised in America, so uh, most of us were raised in church. So we have this uh, significant familiarity with God. It's just who he is. Jesus is a part of our lives. Going to church on Sunday is what we do on Sunday. Why? Because we were raised in a Christian home, and that's just what we do. We believe in God because it's written on our money, and God we trust, and we just kind of take it for granted, and we become so familiar with God being God and Jesus coming to earth that we become flippant about the fact that the Son of the living God left heaven, came to earth so that you will believe and have eternal life. All right, carrying on. I just had to get that off my chest. Well, I'm going to get it off my chest again later too. Brace yourself. Even more directly in the text, the Father has testified about Jesus with his own voice, he tells us. When Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. On the mountain of transfiguration, what's going to happen later on in the story? We have the same voice again. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him, is what the voice says. Uh, wow. Later on, the apostle John is going to write in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. I know it's kind of lengthy, but it's good, so I'm going to read it all. He says, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. Did you catch that? If we can believe the eyewitnesses that testify to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ then surely we can believe the testimony that comes from God the Father. And God has testified about his son, verse 10, all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And he goes on in verse 11 and he says, and this is what God has testified. This is what God, the father, the one who says light be and light is, this is what God has said about Jesus. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Got it? John was pretty seriously committed to the fact that God the Father, the one Lord over all of Israel, the one Lord all of, over all of creation, God the Father has testified to the deity of Jesus. Deity, that's a great word. There is no separating God the Son from the Godness, don't ever repeat that word, of God the Father, the Godness. I just made it up. It worked for what I want. Now forget about it, okay? Does that make sense? There's no separating God the Son from the Godness of God the Father. They are one. To accept one is to accept them both. To believe in one is to believe in them both. And I preached this last week. You don't get one without the other. That's a great jingle. Number three, here we go. 
So now we have John the Baptist has testified to the validity of Jesus being the Son of God, being equal to God. We have God the Father has testified that, he, that Jesus is God. And then we come to number three, the scriptures testify. Verse 39, he says, you, who's he talking to? All of us, specifically in this text, he's talking to the Jewish leaders. And so these are people who, who have searched the scriptures. So he's not just making this up. These are people who are familiar with the word of God, with the Old Testament specifically. He says, you search the scriptures because you think, listen carefully, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The Jewish leaders had studied the Old Testament with great diligence. They believed that if you could comprehend, if you could get your mind and absorb the words of the text of the Old Testament, that you would gain a place in the world to come. They also considered those who were ignorant of the law. This is why the Jews teaching their children and having them memorize large portions of the scripture was very important because the Jews considered those who were ignorant of the law, who did not know God's law, who didn't understand the book of Deuteronomy and have it memorized, though they considered those ignorant of the law to even be under a curse. Really, Brent? John chapter 7, verse 49. Write it down, look it up later. They stood in such a high place of, we know the scriptures, therefore we are closer to God. Those of you who do not know the scriptures, who have not been formally trained like we have, you do not know God, and in fact you are under a curse from God because you don't know the law. Look it up, John chapter 7, verse 49. The Jews had their scriptures. They had their scriptures. They didn't need and they sure did not want Jesus. Are you with me? There is such a fine line between using our Bible as a guide to righteousness as opposed to using it as a guide to Jesus. If you do soap, and after you've done your soap, you walk out of your quiet place and yell at your wife because now you know more about her, about God than she does, yeah, you miss the whole point. If you do soap and spend your time rubbing shoulders with unbelievers, telling them how right you are and how wrong they are, you really, really miss the point. Such a fine line between using our Bibles as a guide to righteousness as opposed to a guide to Jesus. We just sang, Lord, I need you. We didn't sing, Lord, I need more scripture in my heart so that I can be better than everybody else around me. Hmm. Yes, an academic knowledge of the Bible guides our relationship to Jesus, and it guides our relationship with Jesus, but that knowledge of Jesus does not save us. The Jews recognized that Jesus was a miracle worker and that he was sent from God. They refused to believe in him. 
The more knowledge you have has nothing to do with being more saved or more forgiven. Are you with me? Because we do. We have this weird thing in our society. People say it. They say it around me every once in a while. Once they find out I'm a pastor and I try to hide that. Uh, they, they're like, oh, well, Brent, you know, he's a pastor, so he's closer to God. So if he prays for you, God's going to hear better than me. No, no. Hang out with me for a week. You'll find out I'm no more closer to God than you. Because it has nothing to do with academic knowledge. It has nothing to do with how much you know. In fact... Our knowledge of Scripture should point us toward faith in Jesus. Our knowledge of Scripture should point us toward faith in Jesus and away from confidence in ourselves. I just messed up the way some of you think. These Jewish thinkers, they had searched the Scriptures so they could make themselves more acceptable to God follow? And when the Son of God stood before them, offering them divine, eternal life with God forever, they refused Him. Being a thinker does not necessarily make you a believer. Are we good? Verse 41. We should keep going, because now I'm starting to get those looks from you. Verse 41. Your approval... Because Jesus is Mr. Compassionate, and he had read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. So he does things like this, and he says, I don't care what you think about me. <laughs> you can go eat an egg if you want. Your approval means nothing to me, verse 42, because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, that is super significant, I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is what? God. Listen carefully. There's a big hazard here that we need to be aware of in our own thinking. The Jewish leaders accepted those who came in their own name, those who came and made outlandish statements, outlandish claims to be powerful uh, in and of themselves. They come and they say, I'm going to be God, and they do whatever, and they, we, we still see these things happen in our modern world where people come and claim to be God. The Jewish leaders accepted these people, because there is a common ground. Watch this. They weren't looking for a God to be their Savior and to be their Lord. They were looking for a God who would be their best friend, who would negotiate morality. Because the common ground is a self-centered salvation. The Jewish leaders accepted these people who were self-proclaimed prophets and gods because there's this common ground of self-centered salvation. At the core of their self-proclaimed doctrine was, and this is true of every religion with the exception of Christianity, I can do this. 
At the core of self-centered salvation is this idea that I can, I can do this. And that resonated in the minds of the Jewish leaders because they were already at a place where they were thinking, the scriptures give us instructions for how I can do this. If I can keep all these rules, if I can memorize all of the law and keep all of these laws, then I can please God. And in that, that self-centered way of thinking, you will become the most self-absorbed, miserable person you can possibly be. Don't look around right now. Yeah? Are you with me? We come to Christianity and we say, Lord, I want you to fix all, uh, fix me, transform me, change me, but I want to do it on my terms and there's certain things I'm not going to give up. And then we impose all these, well, you got to live a righteous life. And so now we're trying to live a righteous life, but we really want to live an unholy life as well. And so now we're miserable because what if we do something and Brent sees me sinning? So then you're miserable. No, 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 no. This is not about you. Unfortunately, I'm making a broad statement. And then I, this is a hit and run, by the way. Unfortunately, I really do believe that this grumpy Christianity characterizes way too many so-called believers. Where we want the benefits of, of God, but we don't want to really surrender to God. Does that make sense? And it, we, we are trying to ride this fence of, I'm going to do this and trust in God. And God goes, hey, you're a fool. As you read the Word of God, you will find the story repeated over and over that mankind cannot. <laughs> I know you came for an inspirational message this morning. Those that are, that are regulars, you know that I don't mean to encourage anybody. It's always accidental. The story of mankind throughout Scripture is consistently man can not. There is no greater irony than to find a Bible in the self-help section of a bookstore. I know some of you are like, what's a bookstore? <laughs> I'm old. Adam and Eve sinned and failed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, they sinned and they failed. Israel, God's chosen people, these are people who have the best chance of making it. And we read the Old Testament and they failed and they failed and they failed. And we, you and I, still have this tendency to look into the Old Testament, to read those stories, and then to think to ourselves, well, they didn't, but I think I can. I think I can make myself good enough. I think I can live a good enough life that God from his throne in heaven will look down and say, oh, Brent, look, you did it good. The message of the Old Testament, listen, 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 listen. The Old Testament message is clearly you can't. Only God can. That's why we sing, Lord, I need you. 
The scriptures testify of Jesus. The Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament stories point to you and I's desperate need for God to leave heaven, to become man like us, to die and to shed his blood for our forgiveness of sin because you and I can't. We can't. You need God. You need God himself to come and stand before you and say, trust in me. I am your only hope for eternal life. Believe in me. I am the son of the living God. That's why God sent Jesus from heaven to earth so that we could see his glory. And even then, we have a hard time, right? We still may be so busy trying to impress others that we miss being impressed with Jesus. Do you follow that? So busy making sure that we get our religion right that we miss the son of the living God saying, here I am, trust me, I'll give you eternal life. The scriptures testify of Jesus and our desperate need for him. Number four, how are we doing? Oh, we're doing good. Number four, Moses testified. Moses testified. This would have been significant to the Jewish leaders who were listening. Uh, so you kind of got to put yourselves in the context of the story, all right? So Jesus isn't offend, uh, he's not finished offending these people yet. He's really um, giving them a verbal lashing. Verse 45, it doesn't really fit in with our contemporary Jesus. He just loves us all. He's all, I don't care who you think I am. In fact, I'm fixing to send you straight to hell. Here we go, verse 45. Verse 45, some of you are like, really? Yes. The plot thickens. Yet, it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. What? Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. Got your brain around that? If you really believed Moses, you would believe in me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what, I, what he wrote, pardon me, how will you believe what I say? So you remember it was Moses back in the Old Testament who God uh, used to give the law to Israel. It was Moses who brought the Ten Commandments down off of the mountain twice. Moses also told Israel that God would raise up a man from among them. So God, God had used Moses to give them all the law. And in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he tells them, he says, I'm going to raise up a man from among you. I'm going to raise up a man from among you, and you should listen to him. You should listen to him. And the Jews are so busy keeping the law that they weren't able to listen to what God was saying. So when God raised up this man and he came and stood in front of them and said, I am the son of God, they, ah, I, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Moses testified about the son of God, the giver of eternal life. Moses will testify before God the Father that those who put their confidence in the law, they failed. If you think you can do this yourself, all of history stands against you. 
You have a choice. Let me back up. You are hopeless without Jesus. Well, Brent, I was raised in a Christian family. You're not hearing me. You are hopeless without Jesus. Brent, I was raised in America. Everybody knows the John 3.16, and we're all saved because we believe, so I'm okay even though I'm living like a heathen. Uh, we're okay. It's all good. You are hopeless without Jesus. Well, I've been coming to Desert Heights for 10 years, so I know I'm okay. You are still hopeless without Jesus. You have nothing. You have nothing. That's why, that's why the song, Your Reckless Love of God, is, is so important to us. Because we have to recognize that we are the prodigal son. God gave us a gift, and we ruined it. We sinned on it. We violated it. We made what was okay horrible. And then God comes along and he says, Brent, you piece of good-for-nothing trash. I'm going to redeem you. And at that point, all of us who are good-for-nothing pieces of trash, that's all of us, by the way, have the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I believe in you, redeem me. Or we can say, like geniuses, no, God, I got this. <laughs> wow. 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 You have a choice. You can choose life by the law, which has never been done. But hey, maybe you'll be the first person in 8,000 years. Or you can choose life through the Son of God. Moses has already testified on behalf of Jesus, the Son of God. And if you choose to make yourself honorable before God by embracing the law and rejecting God's only Son, Moses himself will stand before the throne of the Father and testify against you. Well, where's God's grace in that? His grace is that he sent his son from heaven to come and live on earth to demonstrate his glory. John the apostle would write about it. He would record it meticulously. He would tell us about the miracles of Jesus. He would tell us about God the Father uh, testifying that Jesus is the Son of God. He would, tell, he would use Moses, and he would testify that, that, Mos that Moses would testify that Jesus is the Son of God. The Old Testament scriptures would point to Jesus being the Son of God. Apart from God standing right here in front of us, he is yelling to us, Jesus is the Son. Believe in him and have eternal life. Stop trying trying to work this out on your own. So here's my challenge to you today. By the way, I think that's super serious stuff. It's easy to say. I said this several weeks ago. It's easy to look at John chapter 5 and say, well, this is elementary. This is Jesus, the Son of God. We got it. I'm not sure that we do got it. Here's our challenge uh, this morning. First of all, first and foremost, is believe in Jesus. Believe in in Jesus. Not in the sense of, oh, Brent preached John chapter 5 for three weeks and finally we're past it. I, I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. No, no, no. I mean believe that only Jesus can give you eternal life. That your only hope for eternity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That way, because here, here's what transforms. When you believe in Jesus, as he's the guy we teach about in Sunday school, then life doesn't really change. When you believe that Jesus is your only hope for eternity, then you get up in the morning and you think, I need to read some scripture because I need to get closer to Jesus. 
I need to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can. I, live, I need to live in a way that is as close to Jesus as I possibly can be. Does that make sense? Because my hope is in Jesus, is in the Lord Jesus. Only Jesus can cause you to stand before God, the Father, sinless and perfectly righteous. Believe in Jesus. Don't believe in yourself. Second, second. We have John the Baptist testified. We have the Father testified. The scriptures testified. Moses testified. My challenge to you this morning is you testify. I like Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, uh, I'm trimming it down, all right? It says, they, were, they have defeated Satan. They have defeated Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. We're not going to defeat Satan by being quiet about our faith, right? I mean, men, you be quiet about your faith in your home, and Satan will march right through the front door. He will. They were defeated. They defeated Satan by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Tell the story of how you believe in Jesus. Tell how faith in Jesus has changed your life and given you hope and helped you to deal with other people with grace and kindness. Talk about Jesus. Express the evidence in your life that proves that Jesus is the life-giving Son of God. There is nothing to be ashamed of. There is nothing to be bashful about. People need to see the love of God in us. They need to see it. Yeah, but Brennan's not politically correct. <laughs> well, you know what? That's not working for us very well. We need to show the love of Jesus. We need to testify about Jesus. People need to see us honor God in our own actions and attitudes. People need to see and hear you testify that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He is Lord and Savior. Because if you don't, the chances of them ever picking up the Bible and reading it's pretty slim. Statistics show, high statistics show, that people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because someone that cared about them and that they had a relationship with shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, shared their faith story. Does that make sense? Let's all stand together and I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we just stand here today in awe of the great and mighty and awesome God that we serve. As creator of the universe and savior of our souls, you sent Jesus to come and stand before us to compassionately plead with us to believe in him as the son of God and that the God over all would care so much about us that you would pursue a right relationship with us, that you would pursue our redemption, you would pursue the forgiveness of our sins even at your own cost. Lord, we are so grateful, so grateful for the son of God, for Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, we turn our hearts completely toward you Lord, help us every day to abandon our own selfish desires, to focus, 
to focus all of our hearts upon you, to love you with all of our strength, with all of our souls, with all that is within us, Lord. Help us to turn our lives to you, to magnify that you are God and you are Lord and you are Savior over all. Father, use us to be a light, a light that is burning so that others will know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that they can come to salvation of Jesus Christ and that they can live a life of hope and grace and your glory. Father, we just trust in you. Use us as your vessels to be glorified in your kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.